This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, spiraling our way into episode number 15. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. The tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I'm here with the Birth, Baby, and Life episode number 15. Today we're going to talk about some reasons for choosing natural childbirth. But before we get to that, I have a few announcements that I want to make and talk about some news headlines that we're seeing right now. First, bed rest safety. You may think that bed rest is for the benefit of mother and baby, and you may never have thought to question it, or you may have heard that bed rest may not be as beneficial as was once thought. It's been a pretty heated debate amongst doctors, midwives, uh, obstetricians for a few years now, but new research has just been released this past week done uh, by Dr. Catherine Spong, and her study studied bed rest for women with a complication called short cervix, but there was a pretty big difference between the number of women who had premature babies and the number of women who carried to term, and surprisingly, the difference was the women who went about their daily activities as normal were the ones who were more likely to carry their baby to term. Dr. Spong noticed in the study that, or noted in the study, that this was limited to just this one complication, but she urges other doctors to question the practice of giving bed rest blindly and for more studies and evaluation to be done. So if your doctor or midwife suggests bed rest, uh, you may want to discuss with them the implications of this study and what research has been done for the particular reason why bed rest is being recommended for you. Another interesting, a couple more interesting study results released in the past week or so. First, or actually these are both from ACOG. So this one from ACOG, which is the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. um, They released a study that Pitocin has adverse effects on newborns. Pitocin is the synthetic oxytocin that's often used to start or augment labor. Augment means uh, get it moving more. And overseas, uh, in the UK and in Australia, it's known by some different names. Sintocin is one of the names that it's known by across the pond for you ladies. But it's synthetic oxytocin. And Many, many natural childbirth advocates and midwives and normal birth advocates have said for years that there are adverse effects to Pitocin, but it's kind of been hush-hush and shoot under the carpet and that sort of thing by some doctors. So this is really quite big to see this uh, announcement come up on ACOG's website that a study has shown definitively that Pitocin may not be as safe as they previously thought for babies. So what does this mean for you? If your doctor suggests induction or augmentation with Pitocin, then really strongly consider asking what are my other alternatives or just refusing induction unless there is a very pressing medical reason for it. If you're having it suggested because your labor seems slow or stalled, there are other things that you can do to get things moving. Uh, And I'll post some links in the show notes for you in case you're wondering. 
The other big news headline for this week is also from ACOG, and it's not directly related to birth and baby. It's more related to fertility, but I almost laughed when I read it, but ACOG released a statement that studies have shown pretty conclusively that a high-protein, low-carbohydrate diet greatly increases fertility. Not just increases, but greatly increases fertility. Um, You may or may not know, but Natural Birth and Baby Care's sister site, which is gettingpregnant.com, that's getting-pregnant.com, writes about, obviously, getting pregnant. And so fertility issues are also uh, pretty strongly on my mind and in my heart and helping women get pregnant naturally. And that's something that we've recommended on gettingpregnant.com since the site began. So uh, if you're trying to conceive and you're having trouble especially, but even if you're not, a high protein, lower carbohydrate diet, and I'll add a diet full of healthy fats uh, will help you get pregnant. And that's what the ACOG study was really highlighting, that it's startling just how greatly it increased fertility, or at least startling to the doctors in the study. I'll link to all three of these studies in the show notes so you can go and read more for yourself. I also wanted to make an announcement that I'm really excited because I have a bunch of great podcasts coming up. I've just been studying so much and learning so much, and I'm kind of bursting at the seams to share it all. A lot about birth, a lot about bonding and the early days with your baby or even bonding throughout infancy and childhood. And it's really exciting. So I'm looking forward to sharing all of that with you. Today, though, um, we're going to talk about natural childbirth. And I, I believe that I've gotten the problems, the technical problems that I had with the podcast the last couple of episodes. I think I've got those resolved. So please drop me a line if you get a chance, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and let me know how the sound quality on the podcast was for you or if you noticed any problems. But I think I've gotten everything taken care of. So with that, we'll jump right into it. Today's topic is why choose natural childbirth. Um, I write a website about natural childbirth. I've had all my children naturally, so obviously I feel pretty strongly about this. And I'll share with you a few of the reasons why I chose to have a natural birth with my first baby. But I'm also going to share with you reasons from other moms that I've polled and talked to and that I've observed and why they chose to have a natural birth. I think the biggest reason why I chose to have a natural birth initially was because, and I've I've shared this before, but when I was a kid, a child, even a young teen, I really didn't think about how babies were born. I loved uh, babies. I've always loved babies, always loved baby dolls, but I didn't really think about how babies were born or how babies were fed. I was just really interested in babies and babysitting, and as I moved through my teen years, that interest matured along with me to reading a lot more about pregnancy and birth and babies and that's when I really realized uh, there's vaginal birth there's cesarean there's bottle feeding there's breastfeeding all these different choices and uh, I happened upon a magazine that talked about home birth which I didn't even realize still happened and that kind of led me into really researching natural birth and it just it resonated with me And so that's probably the first reason that I chose natural birth was that it really resonated with me. And then as I read more and more, things like avoiding the cascade of interventions became very important to me. What's the cascade of interventions? 
that's where something happens. Say, as we talked about a moment ago, your labor is induced with Pitocin. Well, Pitocin induces labor and it causes contractions that are stronger than a contraction would naturally be. They're more powerful, more intense, harder to deal with overall. So you may choose an epidural, which we're going to talk about even more in depth in a couple minutes. But you would choose an epidural, which may impact how your baby's able to move. Say your baby started labor posterior, epidurals are proven to have a correlation with higher numbers of posterior babies because the babies can't turn as effectively. Then your baby's not optimally positioned, so your labor putters out and kind of stalls despite the Pitocin. And eventually it gets to the point where a forceps or a vacuum or even an emergency cesarean is needed because things just aren't working the way that they physiologically or naturally should. That's the cascade of interventions. You can see how one cascades into another. Or my daughter was asking me about this term the other day, and I explained it to her kind of like dominoes falling because my husband had just shown the kids a video of a really complex domino creation. So if you can imagine that one little domino, it knocks the next down, and then they all go down. A cascade of interventions can be like this. Now, sometimes a woman might choose an intervention like Pitocin and not have the cascade of interventions happen. In fact, on naturalbirthandbabycare.com, we have some birth stories where moms were induced with Pitocin and they went on to have a natural birth. Or moms who are in a setting that's really strict, very medicalized, like a military hospital, and they're still able to have a natural birth despite that. But the key there is despite that. Most moms who get on to the cascade, whether that be beginning with Pitocin or an epidural or whatnot, end up facing issues that they weren't expecting because that cascade of interventions just comes along and you can't stop it once it starts. Another big thing about the cascade of interventions is If a choice leads to something like a cesarean or, say, postpartum hemorrhage, which we'll talk about that too more in a minute, that could impact all of your future births. So we're not just talking about one baby here. We're talking about every baby that you have. So if you're on your first baby and you think that you and your husband want to have one or two or three or more babies, then one cascade of interventions leading to, say, a cesarean section could really impact your future births. I work with a lot of moms who are going for a VBAC and a lot who have a successful VBAC. That does happen, uh, and I'm fully supportive of VBACs, but the likelihood of having a vaginal birth after a cesarean is less than having a vaginal birth after a vaginal birth. So the cascade of interventions could impact all future births, and I knew that I wanted more than one child. So for me, avoiding that cascade of interventions and avoiding the possible implications for future pregnancies and births was important. And that's a big reason for a lot of moms to choose a natural birth. I also wanted my baby to be with me, and I knew that if I had a natural birth, it was much more likely that my baby was going to be able to be right there with me after the birth because we would both be alert and aware, and I would also be fully aware and conscious and ready to advocate for my baby, which was important. 
another thing, I, I wanted to be in control. I wanted to call the shots, so to speak. I wanted to be able to say, this is what I want to do. This is what feels right to me. I didn't want to be strapped down to a bed with all these monitors on me. And I didn't want to be tied to an IV pole. I didn't want them telling me what I could and couldn't do. So natural childbirth was a way of avoiding that. And I also selected to have a home birth, which went a long way towards making sure that I was in control as well. And finally, I, as I was thinking about it, I decided that I really... I felt like it was natural, of course, natural birth. Birthing is natural. Women's bodies are designed to do it. Um, but I've always enjoyed physical challenges. Uh, I was kind of a tomboy when I was a kid and a teenager. And I just enjoyed testing my body and testing my limits. And natural birth was kind of an extension of that. I had my first baby when I was only 19, so I was still young, still testing some limits. Um, and still really in that kind of invincible, I can do anything and I'm going to do anything no matter what you say mode. And so for me, that was a bit of a motivation, but um, it was it was a good thing for me. It was good to be young. It was good to make a choice that I knew from my research was healthy for me and my baby. And it was exhilarating to meet that challenge. And I'll talk more about the exhilaration aspect because a lot of moms that... Uh, that I talked with about this also mentioned that. All right, more reasons for a natural birth going on beyond me. Some of these reasons, of course, are my reasons too, but these are big things that other moms said. Uh, Avoiding the induction option was a big reason for choosing natural birth. They knew that they wanted a natural birth. They knew that having an induction reduced the likelihood of having a natural birth. And it made it a lot easier to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to be induced. No, I'm not going to schedule an elective induction. And even though I'm tired of being pregnant and think I'm going to be pregnant forever, I'm not going to be induced. Or if their doctor was pressuring them to induce when there was no good medical reason, they were better able to stand up and say, you've told me that there's no harm in waiting and I want to wait. So avoiding induction. Avoiding the epidural was another huge reason for, uh, for wanting to have a natural childbirth. And I think that my favorite thing that I heard... Uh, about avoiding the epidural was this was said by uh, a mom on mothering.com's forums little birdie was the mom that said this and she said uh, choose the devil you know over the devil that you don't know what she meant by that was the devil you know is pain pain is just pain when you're birthing it's not you're not being physically hurt it's not harmful it's pain with a purpose so to speak but uh, you don't really know what the epidural which would be the devil you don't know you don't know what that could do and I've been amazed at the stories that I've heard even back when I was holding I can remember uh, going to church and there was a little ladies lounge in the church and we would sit around during the service. We would sit around in this little room that was off the ladies' room when we had fussy babies or whatever, and I would just listen to the ladies talk. And this is when I just had Cassidy and Asher. And I was 
I was always a little bit surprised to overhear the number of ladies that had problems after having an epidural, talking about headaches or problems with their backs. And, uh, and I've heard that a lot since then of moms who have adverse effects from the epidural, both directly after birth, shakes and things like that. Though some shakes are physiologically normal after birth, but some moms had shakes related to the epidural. Blood pressure issues, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But all kinds of side effects from the epidural. One mom even shared, uh, this was also on mothering.com that I saw this, one mom shared that her mother, who is an anesthesiologist, had chosen to have natural childbirths using the Bradley method um, after she became an anesthesiologist. So if the anesthesiologist herself isn't even going to choose to have an epidural, you have to wonder, um, is it really all that wonderful and safe as they say it is. A lot of moms said they didn't want the epidural just because they're scared of needles and I mean that's a huge needle and that's I don't like needles either so I completely understand that and then a lot of moms who would just be able to have um, have no IV or just be able to have a Heplock which is where they open up a vein but then they cap it off. You've seen it sometimes just taped to the top of a mom's hand, but there's no IV. That's a Heplock, and you can get away with that, but if you have an epidural, you you have to have an IV line running, So, and there are fluids running to you and, and obviously getting to your baby because of that. So there's all kinds of needles involved with an epidural. A lot of moms didn't want a catheter, That's something you may not think about right now when you think about getting an epidural, but many, many moms who choose to have an epidural end up having to have a catheter to drain their bladder because they can't pee, and that's really not pleasant either to think about. A lot of moms have burning and pain from that lasting for days. That's another thing that I've heard. I actually didn't put that in my notes, but I just thought about that. A lot of moms talk about natural birth as painful in the moment, but once it's done, it's done. Now, once you've had a few babies like I have, you have after pains, but, but those are going to happen even if you have medication. But a lot of moms with epidurals talk about how there's pain such as burning from the catheter or pain at the epidural site or pain as all the feeling is just coming back to a bottom that's sore because there may have been an ep- episiotomy done or something like that because you you couldn't feel down there and you couldn't move and get in an optimal birthing position. So there's a lot of pain from healing that comes. So either you give birth naturally and you have the pain right there and it's pretty much gone. And ladies, it is pretty much gone with the exception of the after pains. The euphoria and oxytocin and all of that surging really erases that pain really fast. Um, Or you have the epidural and there's a possibility you may be facing pain for lingering pain for quite a while after. But um, let's go back. The persistent posterior from an epidural, that was something that I mentioned a minute ago. And this is true. This has been proven in studies that when moms have an epidural, it does. It affects the uterus. It affects the baby. And for some reason, whatever mechanisms are supposed to be going on to turn the baby from posterior to anterior to prepare for birth doesn't happen as well. Almost every mom who goes into labor with a posterior baby will find that her baby turns. 
Almost all babies do. So even if you're feeling nervous about positioning and having a persistently posterior baby during pregnancy, the truth is your baby is probably going to turn during labor. However, if you have had an epidural, there's a real problem with babies who stay persistently posterior having had an epidural. They just don't want to turn because everything is really relaxed in there and things aren't working quite right. Again, the physiology is interrupted. So, um, and babies will turn with an epidural, but generally it takes them a couple of hours longer than it would have to turn. And that means probably a couple of hours longer or more of birthing time. With an epidural, there's big issues with the possibility of labor stalling, again, from the medication that you and baby are receiving, from the fact that you're stuck in bed and can't really walk. And yes, there's a walking epidural. It's more appropriately termed a shuffling epidural because you still really can't move very much. Uh, You can kind of shuffle along clutching your IV pole and that's about it. So you're not really able to move and work with your birthing time. You're not able to stand up and and sway or spiral your hips. You notice that I introduced this podcast episode um, that we're spiraling into episode number 15. And that's because spiraling your hips is such a powerful way to get your baby lined up and get your baby moving down during your birthing time. It's a very primal thing that a lot of women find themselves just doing instinctively during birthing. And there are many other positions that a birthing woman instinctively adopts. I uh, was participating in a seminar on water birth this past week, and our instructor was talking about how women who are in water and completely free to move, the midwife isn't influencing them to get into a position they don't that's not optimal. The women will most likely get on their knees or get on one knee and then one foot up to create an open space for their baby. So there's a lot of instinctive natural movement that happens when a woman is uninhibited and an epidural medication being tied to the bed, all of that could could be a dictionary definition for being inhibited. Finally, I mentioned blood pressure a few minutes ago, and epidurals tend to drop blood pressure. If you already have low blood pressure, this could be a problem. Uh, In an effort to combat dropping blood pressure, they tend to introduce a lot of fluids via IV, as we also mentioned a moment ago. That really causes swelling for you, and it causes swelling for your baby. It can have Um, indirect negative impact on breastfeeding because baby ends up swollen on fluids and so your baby's birth weight is exaggerated by several ounces so a baby who is supposed to be seven pounds uh, two ounces may end up showing up as seven pounds eight ounces or nine or ten ounces and then when your baby loses weight that wasn't really his or her weight to begin with because those fluids are flushing your baby's pediatrician may get worried because your baby's not reaching his or her quote-unquote birth weight quickly enough uh, and they may may advise that you supplement formula And the real reason why your baby had that birth weight was because baby was swollen on all the extra IV fluids. And there are various other things that can happen. I'll link to my article about medications and the epidural so that you can read about all this and you can also read the studies that I've cited in those. That'll be in the show notes. But another obvious reason for avoiding epidural or even IV drugs 
is medication can and does pass to the baby. No matter what they say, no matter what they say about it being harmless to the baby, that does pass to the baby, and it does influence your first few minutes with your baby. It does influence bonding. Babies are groggier, they're a little bit spacey, kind of trippy, that sort of thing. And the those first few moments of bonding and the normal hormonal interactions that are supposed to happen between mother and child just don't happen the same way they do as with an unmedicated birth. And I want to do, this is one of the things I've been studying a lot lately, is those first few moments between mother and child. And I want to do an entire podcast on that soon because it's just so important and so fascinating. A lot of moms said that they wanted a natural birth because they really wanted to fully experience birthing. And this this goes back to what I just said about baby being kind of groggy and spacey. Well, the same thing is true for mama. You're kind of groggy and spaced out and you're not fully experiencing everything. Uh, from the pain, some women actually feel pleasure during childbirth. So if you're one of those women, you're not feeling that or feeling your baby moving down. I think one of the coolest things about my third uh, or my fourth, fifth, and sixth babies was really feeling them moving down through my pelvis. And with my fourth and fifth babies, I actually reached my hand in and felt their heads coming down through the birth canal and crowning. And it was just an awesome feeling to be so conscious and so aware of that new life being born into the world. It was just, it was awesome. And I can't imagine not having experienced that because of choosing medications. Because when you numb the pain, you also numb the euphoria. You numb all of your awareness. And that's definitely something to think about. A lot of moms said that they wanted freedom of movement. We've already talked about this some. An epidural really limits your movement because you're stuck in bed. You can't use a birth ball. You can't stand and lean on a counter. You can't sway. You can't get in the shower. You can't be in a birthing tub. So an epidural really limits your freedom of movement. If you're in a hospital or you're at home and you want to, that, that allows eating in a hospital that allows eating or at home or in a birth center, then you can eat when you want to. But if you've had medications or an epidural, a lot of times they'll restrict you to just clear liquids by mouth. And a lot of moms said that they really wanted to be able to eat during labor if they felt like they needed to eat. Many, many moms said they wanted to be able to push effectively. Some moms say that the epidural doesn't really influence how they're able to push, that they're really able to feel the pushing sensation and push right through the epidural. But many moms say that that's not the case. They really couldn't feel anything. They had to be coached into pushing. This can result in a lot of stress on mom, a lot of stress on you. So you'll see moms who, in their pictures right after birth, they look kind of like they've been beaten up because their faces are bruised from just holding their breath and bearing down in an unnatural fashion. And their bottoms are pretty bruised too because they're really bearing down in an unnatural fashion. They're having to be coached through pushing. And the biggest insult is having the doctor have to do an episiotomy to pull the baby out or even do an episiotomy with forceps or a vacuum extractor because mom just really can't push effectively. So that's a definite vote against medication. 
and along with movement and along with pushing effectively, many moms want to be able to use an effective position for pushing. I shared a moment ago in my water birth clinic how the instructor was talking about the natural position that women take. And if you see birth videos where a woman is unhindered, where her midwife is standing back, is hands off, so to speak, or her doctor is sitting there in the corner knitting. (laughs) And yes, some doctors do, um, being hands off. In fact, I'll I'll share a quick story with you that the water birth instructor shared was about a doctor, I believe he was in Mexico, and I can't remember his name, even though she gave his name. But she said that he has just mastered the art of being hands off, and he brings a sketch pad with him to every birth. And while the mother is pushing the baby out, he's sketching a picture of the baby's entrance into the world. And then once the baby's out, he tears the picture off the pad, hands it to the dad, goes over to see if he needs to be of any assistance, checks the mom's perineum, and then they have a beautiful keepsake momentum from the birth, and and he hasn't done anything. The mom has been totally free. So if you watch videos where the mom or the doctor is totally hands-off and they're just there as an observer, a guardian, so to speak, and they're letting mom do her thing, the mom will choose to be in a natural position, uh, an effective position. On Some moms do deliver on hands and knees. Some moms feel that's instinctively important for something like a breech birth. A lot of moms will choose to be standing up if somebody's there to catch the baby. Um, a lot of moms will be standing up if baby is coming so fast it catches them by surprise. Uh, a lot of moms will choose on their knees or squatting is one that you hear about a lot or in that pose. I've heard it called runner's pose before with one on one knee and then on the other foot. And that really creates a lot of room. All those are positions that create a lot of room. All those are positions that line the baby up perfectly vertically going through the pelvis and the birth canal um, onto the perineum and to crown and be born. And all these positions also help protect the integrity of the perineum because they help the baby move the way he or she is supposed to and allow those tissues to stretch the way that they're supposed to. These positions also lessen the risk, greatly decrease the risk of a complication like shoulder dystocia, which is where the baby's front shoulder, anterior shoulder is the medical ease. The front shoulder gets hung up on the mother's pubic bone. And when you're in an effective pushing position and you're able to move, then you're able to uh, get your baby down through your pelvis, even a big baby. Huge babies can be delivered vaginally. In, with uh, little resistance or effort if there's a good pushing position. So another big argument for an unmedicated natural birth is that you're free to push in a position that's very natural and really works for you and your baby. Moms choose to have a natural birth because there is an easier time postpartum. We talked about that grogginess, that kind of spaciness and out of itness, and that comes from the medications, and the medication has to clear your body. Your body has to detox. The medication, your baby's body has to detox. Nurses who work with moms, um, labor and delivery nurses who are working with the postpartum moms will tell you that a mom who has had a natural childbirth is easier to care for postpartum because she's really feeling great and able to do a lot for herself, whereas the mom who's had an epidural requires more oversight and just doesn't seem as alert and conscious. A lot of moms choose to have a natural birth because they want a home birth. 
and when you're at home you pretty much have to do it naturally I know you ladies in the UK you can have gas and air but uh, in the United States that's really not common and uh, and even ladies in the UK or overseas that's all you can have you don't really get all the medications so if you want a home birth then you're <laughs> having to do it completely naturally and some moms want to have an unassisted birth and in that case you're definitely doing it completely naturally because there's nobody there except for you and your husband your family perhaps we mentioned earlier the oxytocin and bonding hormone rush the euphoria I think that moms are hesitant to say that they really want this uh, because it sounds kind of like it's all about me and I'm not concerned about the health of my baby. And that's not true. I'm glad that I can have a safe space to read what moms say, to listen to moms, because they're not afraid to say this. And so many of them say that they want to experience the euphoria that comes after giving birth naturally. There's a very natural high, and it makes you clear-headed and alert and awake and just ready to be there with your baby. And I say it's so unfortunate that moms feel almost afraid to talk about this because it seems selfish, uh, because actually it's the least selfish thing possible. Uh, Carla Hartley calls the third stage of labor, and she's a midwife and, uh, and runs a midwifery school. She calls the third stage of labor, there you are, there you are. Uh, because when the mother and the baby's gaze locks on each other, there's just this moment where baby's kind of like, hey, there you are. And mama's just kind of like, hey, there you are, that person who's been kicking me for nine months. And it's just this amazing, amazing time. There's an amazing amount of neurological transmission, neurons firing in that baby's brain and mom's brain. Pheromones are at work. Even the smell of your baby's head is at work. So many things are going on in those first instants. And the oxytocin is one hormone that's really rushing. I mean, all of those things are just rushing, surging, and it's all there to make you fall in love with your baby to help your baby make important neurological connections. It's just, it's incredibly important. Uh, birthing from start to finish was designed by nature. And that euphoric rush isn't just there so that we can say we had a great natural birth and we feel like we're on top of the world. That rush of euphoria is there to ensure our baby's survival. It's there to ensure that our baby develops optimally. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing and so it's very important and it's not selfish and it is something that a lot of moms say that they want and there are very good biological reasons for wanting that. Related to that is is the desire for a physiologic third stage and this is something that I added no mom really elaborated this to me but it's important because when you have an unmedicated birth and then you have that surge of euphoria everything in the third stage happens as it's supposed to remember the third stage is where the placenta is born and that is also the time where many doctors and midwives are worried about postpartum hemorrhage 
A postpartum hemorrhage is much less likely to happen if you have a natural birth and all of this stuff that happens right after baby is born is allowed to happen because when those hormones are surging, when mom's looking at baby, baby's looking at mom, mom's smelling baby, baby's nuzzling mom, not even necessarily nursing yet. I know everybody says it's the nursing, but really it's not, we're not even to that point. Some babies don't want to nurse until a half hour or so after birth. They just want to gaze at mama and mama wants to gaze at them and smell the baby and look at the baby and touch the baby's toes and just be in awe. And that all of that complex interplay is what works really powerfully to get those hormones moving that cause the placenta to shear off cleanly, that cause the uterus to clamp down, that cause those arteries that are open after the placenta shears off to just constrict suddenly, leading to only a half cup or a cup at the most of blood loss. It's just, it's amazing. And, uh, and, Having a natural birth that leads up to this moment is what leads to a physiologic or natural third stage and a healthy third stage for you and your baby. These are just some of the many, many reasons to choose a natural childbirth and to consider it, to really dig into the literature and figure out why is this so beneficial. And I have, I have so many resources, ladies, to help you figure out the how. Um, but really, once you figure out the why, why is natural birth so important, you're going to figure out the how. Even if it feels intimidating, that's okay. Um, but, but no matter what the, the how is, how am I going to do this? How could I do this? How could I handle the pain? If you have the why, you can find a way to do that. I also want to say that this episode isn't to condemn anybody if you may have had a medicated birth. It's not to say that if there's some reason that you really feel like you needed a medicated birth, you're doing anything wrong. And I certainly feel like moms can bond well with their babies even if they haven't had a natural childbirth. I emailed a mom just today who was really distressed because she had an induction she didn't want and it turned into having a cesarean section and her baby's 12 weeks old now and she was still really just feeling very guilty and not feeling like she was bonding with her baby and i was giving her some suggestions including you know accepting the fact but also realizing that those powerful hormones are still playing in hers and her baby's favor and just to spend lots of time skin to skin with her baby cuddling and that sort of thing so this isn't a condemnation but this is information because information is power knowledge is power and when you know the why you're able to go forth and do make different choices than maybe you made before or make choices with conviction and and the the ability to advocate for yourself and your baby all right we're getting to the 40 minute mark so i've gone a little bit later than i had intended to but i hope that this has been helpful to you moms and also to you daddies so that you'll really be able to be right there and support her and remember i always love feedback i love getting your emails letting me know what you think letting me know what you like to hear i also love seeing the ratings on itunes and especially the reviews on itunes so you can always email me kristen at natural birth and baby care and please head on over to itunes just take a couple seconds to leave me a rating there or take a couple of minutes and leave me a review let me know what you liked let me know what I can improve on. I always love to hear from you. Thanks so very much, and I will see you again in a couple of weeks.
Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.